Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Well, good morning. Uh, welcome back to our service, and we get to dig into God's Word together. And as you know, we've just completed a study through the book of Habakkuk. And uh, as, that, uh, as that study got a little bit expanded, uh, it actually created a gap in my preaching calendar. And so I have two weeks to kind of uh, preach some things that I uh, wasn't really sure how to handle. And um, as I began to think about um, before Christmas, everything that, that was happening and the series that we're going to do with that, I realized it's an opportunity for us to think a little bit about two specific topics in relation to uh, the changes that are happening at our church. And so you know that our church is right now in the midst of uh, asking God to do above and beyond what we could ask or think as uh, we go through a transition right now as a church. And uh, that comes from Ephesians chapter 3, which we just prayed together. And in verse 20, it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So we're asking God to do some things above and beyond what we could ask or think. We're, we're trusting Him to do that. And that's good because there's things that are in our church that are, are obstacles and weaknesses and concerns. And one of those things uh, happens to be uh, our church's finances. Now, I'm really thrilled to be able to tell you that as we looked at our finances in the end of this year, we uh, estimated we were going to be short about 70,000 ringgit uh, to the expenses that we have. That, about, that was numbers from about a month ago, but recently we've updated those numbers and God is providing. God is on the move. And we recognize now that we're only about 25,000 ringgit short. Uh, while that's significant, you can see how God has already been providing and giving us uh, all that we can do above or beyond what we could ask or think. And, uh, and we're going to continue to trust Him for that. But as I began thinking about uh, what the future of this church is, I realized that it was uh, probably time that we focus on this topic of giving. And so today I want to uh, invite you to turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 26. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 11 here today. And uh, as you turn your Bibles there, uh, just a fun little story. Uh, there were two men who were uh, stranded on a deserted island in the middle of the tropical ocean. And one of the men was just dreadfully fearful and anxious and was concerned and didn't think they were going to get off the island alive and, and was, uh, was really scared. And yet... Uh, he looked over and the other man was sitting back, kind of relaxing against the coconut tree, smile on his face, and, and didn't seem to be concerned at all at their partic particular predicament. And so he asked him, what's going on? What, what makes it so that you're so calm and, and assured? And, and, and the man said, who was sitting said, well, um, I, I got to let you know, I, I'm actually kind of a rich man. I make 100,000 US dollars each year and, and I tithe faithfully for my church. So I know for sure that my pastor is going to find me. Well, while that story is a, a little bit humorous, um, it, it identifies something that is oftentimes 
concerning. Many times, pastors and churches avoid talking about giving uh, unless they're motivated by some sort of selfish concern, a building project or a need or, or some sort of expansion that's going on. And for many years, I, as a pastor, as a young pastor, uh, really found it difficult to preach on the topic of finances and money and giving in particular. And yet, our, I found that when I planted a church in the U.S., um, that a couple of years in, we were facing a significant financial crisis, and the elders asked me to preach a series about finances. And what I learned in that series is that it's not really about money, that really what's going on is uh, that God is very concerned for our hearts and He uses money to disciple us, to disciple our hearts. And so that's why when you look in Scripture, uh, money is one of the most talked about things. Jesus talks about money more than just about any other topic. There's over 2,000 verses that talk about money in the Bible. And, and so many times what's going on in our heart is reflected in how we handle and talk about money. And so what I realized is that giving um, is a deeply personal indicator of our spiritual condition and our love for God. If we understand Jesus' words that our treasure is an indication of where our heart is, then how could we not see the importance of teaching about this issue of money and giving? For it points to a really a need that is deep within each of our hearts in this way. And so today, the title of my message is Generous Giving. And uh, let me just ask you a question as we get going here. How do you decide what you give to God? How do you decide what you give to the church and to poor individuals? Well, today I want to teach you a, a principle that uh, the Word of God really focuses in on. It's the principle of first fruits. It, it's really a principle that talks about where your charitable giving should be coming from. And so today we're going to develop a strategy for giving. I'm going to talk to you about three things about giving your money uh, that I believe God's Word teaches in Deuteronomy 26, but also many other places in Scripture as well. So the main idea is this. Generous giving is sacrificial, joyful, and gracious giving. Notice the three things. Sacrificial, joyful, and gracious giving. That, that's what a generous giver gives like. So let me read the text here for us this morning, Deuteronomy 26. Remember that Deuteronomy is the last of the five books called the Pentateuch that Moses wrote. These would have been books that helped God's people, the Israelites, get to know who he is because they've been in Egypt as slaves for 400 years and then God has rescued them using Moses, brought them out of the land, and he had Moses write down uh, a record of his words to help the people get to know who God was. And in Deuteronomy, we see that there's a whole section starting in chapter 5 uh, that goes all the way up to verse 20, uh, chapter 26 that is helping them know God through the law. And so at the conclusion, God kind of says these things. Let's read verses 1 to 11 this morning. He says, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from your, from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in the office at that time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give to us. 
Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall make a response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father, that's Jacob, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid us on hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. Those were the plagues. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring, for, bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me, and you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. So today we're seeing strategies from the text of how to give generously. We're looking to, to generously give. And number one that you need to see here this morning, write this down, is that we are to give sacrificially. So giving sacrificially means not just out of the surplus of what we have. In verse two here, it says, you shall take some of the first of the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving to you. Here, what we see here is that we are, uh, they were to give a portion of what they had been farming and giving out of the land, and it was actually called the first fruits. Uh, scripture actually mention, mentions this concept of first fruits a number of places, and in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. So notice here, we're supposed to honor the Lord with all of our wealth, but, but the it's supposed to come from the first fruit, from the first of what we receive. And then it goes on to say, Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be burst, bursting with wine. So if you were a farmer at this particular time, when you entered the land, when Moses had, uh, and Joshua had conquered the land, um, your income would have all come in at the time of harvest. You wouldn't have known what you would have made throughout the year out the year until the harvest was finished. So I think that some of us actually kind of are in this this boat as well. You don't really know how much to give because it doesn't all come in until the very end. So you might have investments and you're not sure what that will be like. You might get bonuses at the end of the year. There might be a contract that you're, you're trying to get and you don't, you're not sure if you're going to get it yet. You might be a musician and, and you get hired for gigs and you don't know how many of those are going to happen. You might be getting commissions in some ways and sales or, or whatever it is. And in all of that, you don't know until at the end what it is that you have. So how does that affect giving? If you're not sure how much you're going to make, well, then the logic here is that you wait until all the harvest is in and then you determine how much you can afford. 
But God here is saying, no, that, that's actually not the way I want to do it. I, I want you to give the first fruits. I want you to give from the very first day of harvest. That first portion, you may not even know how much is going to come in, the total yield of the field, but, but even though you don't know what the crops will yield, uh, give before you know the total amount. There's a principle that God is teaching here. He's saying if you wait until, you're, until everything comes in, you're going to give from out of the surplus of what you have. Surplus is, is the idea of what you can afford to give without it changing how you live. So you, you, you want to do all that, all that you want to do and, and then you give afterwards. You want to buy all the clothes you want to buy and then if you have anything left over, you give. You want to eat at the nicest places you can eat and you go on the great vacations and buy your little toys and gadgets and, and then you give from the leftover of that. And God is actually saying here, the principle that he's saying here is don't give me from the leftovers. Give me from the first, from the first fruits. This requires that we will be giving from the heart, that, that we would give past our place of comfort. Really the idea of giving sacrificially, that I'm, I'm going to give first in faith, and there might even be a sting of sacrifice because there might not be as many crops come in as I thought in, in the farmer situation. I might not get the commission that I thought or the bonus that I thought, but I, I'm going to give first and I'm going to trust God in that way. Now, for some of you, there, there's already an objection just in normal life, but even on top of that, you're saying, Pastor, you, you got to realize you're, you're, you're preaching this message in the midst of COVID. There's a lot of economic uh, problems that are going on. These are lean times. Uh, how is it that you can say, don't give from your surplus, give sacrificially from the top, from the first part? Well, I believe that this is actually a a relevant lesson for lean times. I, I think we have to learn how to give in this way all the time. And the reason is because if you only give out of your surplus when you have it, then you won't give it all when there are lean times. The, the point here that, that really the text is trying to show us, this principle of first fruits, first fruits, excuse me, is that you need to give in a way that changes how you live. I just want you, by application, to think a little bit about your recent giving. Are you giving from what's left over or, in faith, from what is first? I want you to notice something, an important concept here. Really, what you give, it's not about amount. So many times that's the emphasis. Somebody, somebody is, is very proud that they gave to a certain level and a certain amount. And, and what it's possible to do is to give it a level, an amount that you think is really great, but it not be sacrificial, that it not be in faith from the top. It's possible to give a lot out of surplus. And what God is saying here is, I would prefer uh, if you would give out of a complete place of sacrifice. It's possible, in other words, to give a small amount, which doesn't feel like it's very significant, but it'd be completely significant because it was sacrificially given. Think of the widow and the widow's might in the story in the New Testament. In all of this, this might be stinging your heart a little bit. And I would just encourage you to allow God to, to sting your heart here. 
It might even be causing you to be a little bit indignant in, in the sense of, God, how dare that you asked me to, to sacrifice and give something like this? I, uh, how dare that you ask for, for, for me to trust you in this way? Uh, my security is so wrapped up in, in having these things. But I would just tell you that God knows what is best for your heart. And he knows that when he calls you to give sacrificially, that, that when your heart doesn't have everything that it wants because you have given to God, when, when, when you give sacrificially in a way that it affects where you live, that you, that you live in a less expensive place because you give. When, when it affects what you eat, that it's not as rich and not as, as sweet as as if you wouldn't give to God and you could spend it on those things. When, when God says that, when God sees that the clothes you wear are perhaps less because you're giving to him or the phone that you carry is not the most up-to-date and modern one. When God sees that you are sacrificially changing your lifestyle so that you can give from the top, you can give the first fruits, that's what pleases the Lord. So in this, Concept number one, uh, aspect number one in building a strategy for giving is giving generously is that generous giving is sacrificial. Now, I'll just tell you, I'm not sure that you're thrilled that you came to church today, right? Like that feels a little hard. It feels kind of difficult. It's, it's a little bit of a yuck moment in some ways because our heart, it, it might be so wrapped up that to, to be called to give sacrificially really challenges us. But, but there's... There's another aspect of this that I want us to focus on, not just the sacrificial, but, but to give joyfully. And giving joyfully is, is giving not just out of duty. So how can we give joyfully? Well, I, I kind of love this part of the, of the scripture here because in verse 3 and 4, it helps us to see this. What God is saying here is that you're not allowed to come and just put your offering in the bag. You're not allowed just to click the button online on your computer. You're not allowed just to bank in and press the buttons on the machine. Like he wants something else in the midst of that. Look at verses three and four. It says this, and you shall go to the priest who is in the office at that time of day and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give to us. And then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it before the altar of the Lord your God. What I love here is that there's, there's a, an important connection that the Lord wants to make in the actual act of giving with what's going on in your heart. What comes after uh, the priest setting this basket down in the, before the altar is, is recorded in verses 5 and onwards. We're going to see more about that here in just a second. But really, it's, uh, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to come and you're supposed to give a testimony of God's grace in your life. It's this moment where you, you take the gospel and connect it to the physical act of giving and that you bring those two things together. And the testimony goes like this. Uh, yeah, I, I've worked hard for what I have, but the only reason that I have any of this is because of the land that I was given by God. In the Old Testament, the land was an important aspect of the covenant relationship between his people and, and God. And so the, and this particular individual would come and he would make this declaration. He would, he would connect his heart with the giving and demonstrate that it's, it's not the work of my hands. It's, it's the gift that God has given to me. Actually, one of my favorite verses about this idea is in Deuteronomy chapter 8. 
verses 17 and 18. It's on the screen. Let's, let's read it here, and we see this. Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is this day. We see here that, that there's this testimony that's supposed to be given that demonstrates your understanding of the gift that has been given to you for you to have the ability to even now give an offering to the Lord. The testimony is, I was in Egypt, we were slaves, but God came in and He saved us. He did miraculous deeds. He, he, we weren't saved because of our own work or our own ability, but it was God's grace. He did it. It wasn't anything that I did. Notice that as the giving is happening, the, the, the text is telling us, God is telling us, don't ever just give and not connect it to what God has done. Instead, give and connect that giving to the gospel. Before the Lord, we need to have drilled into our heart that everything I give was first a gift given to me, and now I'm just giving a portion of it back to God. I mean, do you believe that? There's a principle here that says God owns everything, and what I have is His. I simply manage His ownership of whatever He has asked me to steward for Him, whatever's in my bank account. So, fun little story about a dad who was walking to church one Sunday, and he gave his little son, his little boy, uh, two ringgit. Those two ringgit bills, one in each hand, the little boy was running down the sidewalk, and the father had told him one is for the offering, and then after church, one is for some ice cream. As he was excitedly running with the ringgit in his hand, suddenly one fell out of his hand, blew out of his hand, the wind blew it, and, and down into the drain. He looks down into the drain and then up at his dad and says, Well, God, there goes your ringgit. You see, it's a story about the war that goes on in our heart for whose money it is. I mean, do you consider that the money that's in your bank account, the money that's in your wallet is not actually yours? Or do you just automatically assume that those things are yours? God is trying to show us here that the principle is He owns everything. Even what's in your bank account and what's in your wallet and what's in your hand, He owns all of that. You simply steward and manage it for Him. And one of the things that He has told, you, told us to do is that good managers of His money give the first fruits of what is given to them to steward back to the Lord. Now, you might, again, be objecting a little bit here and say, well, wait a second, Pastor, I'm not an Israelite and I'm not a farmer. How does this really relate to me? Well, the fact is that the things that you have are not really yours. God owns the ring in both of those little boys' hands. And yet, with that, we struggle, right? We say, well, wait a second, I worked hard to get the, the, what's in my account. But, but with what did you work? And you say, well, my talents and my abilities. And I would say, well, who gave you the talents and abilities? And you say, well, it, it's that I'm strong enough and healthy enough to work to do these things. And I would say, who gave that health to you in that way? 
You say, well, it was my schooling. It's, I, I got great schooling and that's why I have what I have. And I would ask who gave you the opportunities for even having that. I mean, we live in a time and age. We live within boundaries that God has given to us that provide those opportunities that many, many millions of people before us never had. The principle here is that everything that I have is a gift. God owns it. I just manage His money, His things. Uh, he's the one that, that owns all of it. And, and if you drill this fact into your heart, if you plant it deep down inside, which is why Moses is saying, when you come offer this, tell, tell, make this statement, make this declaration in verses 3 and 4, it's to drill into our heart so that we would come and realize that only what I have is because of the generosity of what God has given to me. It's the grace of God that I have whatever is within my possessions. And therefore, I can give to the Lord radically and sacrificially. God wants you to connect the grace of God to the gift so that you can come to a place where you want to give to Him what is already His. So even though we said earlier that we are to give sacrificially, meaning give it until it hurts. Give it until it changes how I live my life and that I'm less comfortable because I'm actually giving to the Lord sacrificially. What we find is that if we're giving joyfully, it only hurts our budget and our lifestyle. That, that when we give joyfully, and sacrificially, it doesn't hurt our insides. It doesn't hurt our heart. It's not painful to give. It's actually a place of joy to give to the Lord. Maybe to understand this a little bit better, we can see what Jesus says about giving. And, and one of the key places that he speaks about it, his famous Sermon on the Mount, uh, he speaks in Matthew chapter 6. And, and he says, in verse, starting in verse 19, read along with me. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice, it doesn't say where your heart is, then your treasure is there. It's, it's where your treasure is, then your heart is the thing that follows and comes to be there as well. Why is Jesus saying where your treasure is, your heart will be also? Well, he, he's, saying it this, he's saying this way. Whatever your heart most treasures will be where your money goes most effortlessly. You will always most joyfully spend on what your heart treasures. So I remember back when I was attending Bible college and I, I, I was required, I was responsible to pay for my school bills. I was making my way through school and I would work uh, these really hard jobs all summer long, all summer break, all Christmas break. I would work during the school year between classes all so that I could pay my school bill. And I just remember it was always a little bit painful because it was large amounts of money that I would have to pay to pay my school bill. Now, I, I loved going to school and I, and I purposed to do that, but it was always hard to write that particular check. But then I met my wife 
and she was the girl of my dreams, and I soon found out that uh, this was going to be the person I was going to marry and spend the rest of my life with. And, and in the U.S., one of the marriage customs is that we would uh, that the the uh, the man would give to the woman an engagement ring, and this is a usually a gold ring with a diamond in it, and it was a ring of promise, and and they're not cheap at all. But I'll just tell you this right now: I had no problem spending a lot of money on a little ring because I. I so loved and treasured this particular woman, couldn't wait to marry her, to ask her to do so, that it wasn't a problem to make that particular payment. You see, what your heart loves, you have to be careful that you don't spend too much on it. Whatever your heart loves most, that's what you rest in. And so you have to be careful how much you spend because it's so easy to spend for it because you love that thing. And, and here's how you know where your heart really rests. You know if your relationship with God is in this impersonal, distant, just a religious experience, if you consider giving as something that you have to do to give my money to God and to the poor. Or if you've truly experienced His grace, now that you know that without him, you would be completely lost. If you've experienced the totality of his grace and his love and your heart treasures him, if your heart rests in his grace, you will love to give. Giving sacrificially will be a joy. Giving past your comfort level will be a joy. Giving in a way that changes how you live, you'll rejoice in that. That's not a problem because you love that. That's where your treasure is. This is how you know if you have a personal relationship with God or if it's just an impersonal going through the motions types of thing. You see, giving so much is connected to our discipleship. It's it's not about the amount. It's not about uh, what's going on there. It's what's going on in your heart that really matters. So here's the point. If you can't give sacrificially and joyfully, that tells you that there is something wrong with your heart and your relationship with God. It says that there's a disconnect and a gap. And, and here's the thing with money, it's, it's, it's tricky because there might be parts of it that you're happy to give and give it away. But if you get pushed a little bit, if you get stretched a little bit, if you have to be a little bit sacrificial in it, the joy is lost. And then you begin to, to see the cracks in your relationship with the Lord. So, so just an application, just do another little checkup here. Uh, do, let me ask the question, you consider it. Do you give from duty or do you love to give to the Lord? I mean, if you're giving from duty, what goes through your head is, I should, I should do this and I should like it. I should love it. I should feel the freedom of it. But if we're honest, we, we don't always feel those things, right? If you're giving from duty, you're saying, I have to do it. If you're giving from duty, you're sad that the money is gone. If it's from duty, you wish that it could go into your savings. And there's this internal battle like, well, I could, I could kind of have more if, if, if I didn't give. If you give from duty, it's pointing to the quality or lack thereof of your love of God and your relationship with Him. Because giving isn't about amount. God owns everything. He, he has everything he needs to take care of what, what is going on. It, giving to the Lord is about your heart. It's not about God's need. It, it's about your relationship with him. 
And so you might be saying, well, wait, Pastor, are you saying that how much I give determines if I'm saved or not? Well, I'm not saying that, but I am saying that your attitude in how you give does actually show what the condition of the relationship with the Lord is. Save people love to give joyfully and sacrificially. And if you're sensing that there's a gap in that, I, again, we got to do the gospel dance, right? We, we need to be repent, repentant. We, if, if this is something that's challenging you right now, listen, not because of my words, but because of what the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is doing, then that's something that, that you need to work out with the Lord. You need to, to repent and say, I've been doing it wrong. And, and God, your way, I believe your way is best. That, that, nine, that 10 minus one that I give to you actually adds up to more. In all of this, notice that this declaration that happens, that, that, that you are supposed to give, and listen, it's not about giving the least amount. It's about, and getting away with, with that. It's not about a perception issue. Listen, the story of Ananias and Phyrus in Acts chapter 5 is so important to understand that, that we, when we give, it, God takes that incredibly seriously and that we would be honest about those things. But in this, really the challenge is not to be giving out of duty, but to be giving out of this place of joy, coming to this place of loving to give. Now, most people know that this is what the Bible teaches, and they think that it's right, but they go, man, I just can't do it. How could my heart be transformed to give generously, to give sacrificially and joyfully? How, how can I give not out of a begrudging, like I have to, I should, and I don't really like to do it, I wish I could have some of this for myself. How, how could we give first, sacrificially, in faith? How could we give that way? Well, Deuteronomy continues to help us see this. And, and if you look at verse 10, look at it again with me. Let's read it together. It says this, And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, the first fruits, which you, O Lord, have given me, and you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. How can we do this? How can we bring the first sacrificially and, and bring it in worship and joy? Well, there's, there's a reason why we can't do this. We, we see this and we realize it's too high in my own ability. The standard is too much for me to actually meet. And, and so we read something like this and it's easy to hear a message like this and it'd it, it be crushing me and discouraging me and be thinking, I don't know that I could ever get there. I know my heart. And, and in this, I would just say, yeah, you're, you're probably right. You, you can't do this. This requires too much for your own effort to accomplish. But there's a reason why you can do this. You, you can look to the one who saves you and that will actually change your heart. Think about that. Who is the one who has saved you? Who, who is the one who had nothing at the end? No bank account. No, no savings. I mean, he, they took his robe from him. He didn't even have pockets to have money in it in. And then as he hung there on the cross, the, the father's love was taken from him. And everything was taken away from him. And in that moment, he cries out, My God! My God! 
This is, this is the language of covenant relationship, by the way. This is, this is the language that is crying out and saying, uh, I, I'm rejoicing even though I have nothing. Even though everything has been taken away from me, I'm rejoicing. Why? <laughs> Why could he do that? Well, well, here's the secret. It's that he did that for you and for me. For the joy set before him. For the joy of knowing that he was saving you and saving me. He was willing to have everything taken away. He was willing to give all of himself so that he could find the joy in giving to you. Moses is trying to get us to see this when he tells us that we should have this response, that we should make this declaration. So so point number three here this morning is to give graciously, not out of guilt. This gracious giving is, is to come not out of a place where I feel guilty, where I feel obligated, where I feel bad that I've done something wrong, so I gotta make up for it in some way. That's not the way God wants you to give. That does not please the Lord. You could give massive amounts out of a guilty heart and the Lord would not be impressed. He wants you to give graciously. And generous giving is possible when I experience grace. And so the Old Testament saints would remind themselves that God saved them out of Egypt. That and his saving them, that they, that was something that was freely given to them. It was free grace that they didn't deserve and that they didn't earn. And so in verse 5 it says, You shall make a response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father, that, that's Jacob, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. And the Egyptians, uh, they were afraid. They treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. And when we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice, saw our affliction and toil and oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great deeds of terror and signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us the land, the land flowing with milk and honey. This is the gospel in the Old Testament, the Exodus story, that the people chosen by God, doing nothing for themselves, were given this free, unmerited grace. And in that, they were to remember this as they were to bring their offerings. But, but it's interesting that they, they were blind to something that we can see today. What is it that they didn't understand and didn't know that we now are able to see? they saw that they had unmerited grace, free grace, but they didn't know how costly that was going to be. The only reason that Israel could have this grace, it was because God gave it to them at the price, at the cost of himself. So so do you remember the Passover? Do you remember the story of Passover, how the night before Israel was taken out of Egypt, the the last plague that was given, the 10th plague, was that the the angel of death was was sent into Israel and every family was going to have to pay for their sins. And the way that they would pay is by the death of their firstborn, God's justice was sent out. And, And God tells the story of how Israel escaped. He told them what to do. He said, listen, you you need to go take a little baby lamb, a little one-year-old lamb, and you you need to kill that lamb and put the blood over the doorpost, and you need to shelter under the blood. And Israel did that. 
But as they were walking out of Egypt, as they were carrying the things out of Egypt, they must have been asking, how does the blood of a little lamb save us? I mean, how, how did that work? Well, John the Baptist knew. Because when he saw the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, coming, approaching him, he, saw, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. You see, the little lambs at Passover were pointing to Jesus. On the cross, Jesus had everything taken away from him to pay for the sins, yours and mine. And Israel didn't know. They, they just knew that the grace they were being given was unmerited. It was free. And yet they didn't realize the cost of what that free grace was. They didn't know that the only reason they could be saved was because God gave. The Father gave the Son. The Son gave His blood on the cross. And this sacrificial giving that the Father models and demonstrates for us shows us that God doesn't just want from our surplus what you can give without your life changing. But I want to give you... uh, past the place of where it changes your life. God gave in that way. Not just the place that it changed his life, but Jesus gave to, to the place where he lost his life. And he did it for you and for me. And when we see that, when we see that it gave, that he gave his life and that he, and that it was costly It will take your heart and it will make him your treasure. And when he becomes your treasure, it won't be a problem to give generously. You'll say, if Jesus gave to to the place that it cost him his life, I can give to the place that it changes my life. If Jesus gave to the place where it cost his death, the totality of his life, I can sacrifice a little bit now to give to him because he's my treasure. The reason why someone grasps the costly grace of God and it changes them to be able to give sacrificially and joyfully in any circumstance and and that there's always something like like the widow with the widow's might. She gave everything, but it was so tiny. She had still something to give. It causes us to want to give. Because it's joy. It's my treasure. And I'd be thrilled to give away more in that way. Christians who understand the grace of God love to give generously. So in the story in Deuteronomy, the next section, verses 12 to 15, it it actually tells us about tithing. This is God's guideline for giving. And he he told the Israelites, my people will give 10% uh, of what they receive, that, that they'll take 10% and they'll give it to the Levite and the, and the sojourner, the alien. That means that they'll give it to the place where there's ministry happening at the altar, worship in the church, and they'll give it to the poor. And when you experience the grace of God, you will want to push to give that 10% and to give more. The story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 is so awesome. When he comes into contact with with seeing all that Christ was giving for him, Zacchaeus gave away 50% of all that he had. And notice, Jesus didn't stop him. He wasn't like, well, no, 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 Zacchaeus, you only give 10%. 
Because when we give out of that place of gratitude because of the generosity of how God has given to us, listen, our hearts don't want the limits to be on us to be able to give in how much we give. When, we, when you understand the grace of God and Jesus becomes your treasure, it's like anything you love. You have to stop yourself from spending on it. And so it becomes not how much do I have to give, but how much can I give? Notice the result in verse 11. When you're giving in this way, you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and in your house. And, and the Levite and the, and the sojourner, the alien among you, will be rejoicing as well. It means that if you are shaped by the grace of of Jesus Christ so that you give sacrificially and joyfully, then your money becomes a form of grace. <laughs> Listen, if you're in Christ, you know the incredible value and the wonder and awe of that because your money keeps ministry going and it liberates people. It, it, the money given that makes the Levites rejoice. These were the men who served at the altars, the worship of Israel. It, it, it spiritually liberates people. And the money that you give in this way physically liberates the alien, the poor, the, the sojourner. And when God's grace liberates you so that you're able to give, then your money becomes a form of God's grace. It's grace to ministry and grace to poor. It turns your money into way more than just paper bills and metal coins. It becomes a vehicle for God's grace. So, so in closing, look together here. Look at what Jesus Christ did in giving himself away. Look at the lives that he's changed in his radical giving. I mean, when he gave himself on the cross and he purchased for you by his blood, redemption and salvation and the forgiveness of your sins and the ability to have a relationship with God. When he changes you in that moment of grace and gives you this gift, it should cause your heart to explode. And listen, giving sacrificially and joyfully isn't a crazy idea because you understand the grace that's been given to you. Look at what Jesus did by giving himself away. Look at the lives that he's changed, yours and those around you. Now go and do likewise. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we come today and we, we lay our hearts before you. Lord, even this message, it's, it's not even so much about generous giving. It's about a heart that understands the fullness of the gospel. Lord, would you take any blockages away right now? Any excuse not to believe the gospel? A any objection that we have? Any of our best thinking that we think is better? Any uh, of, of the things that we don't believe about what your word says? God, would you remove those obstacles? Because we want the sweetness of relationship with you. And, and Lord, we want to reflect that we understand that in the generosity of our giving, that the way that we give sacrificially and joyfully and, and out of grace, not guilt. Lord, would you help us to see the beauty of who you are and what you've given, to, to acknowledge that nothing that we have is our own, that it's a gift from you. 
And so, Lord, to worship you by giving a small portion back, Lord, we want to grow in our ability to do that and to give beyond that. Lord, not for any of man's purposes, not for any of our glory, but Lord, for you, for you, Lord, because of what you've done. Lord, you're our rescue. And so we give you everything that we are. You're the one who saves. You lifted us from the grave. There is no better giving than what you've given to us. So Lord, help us to worship in giving. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.